0: You would, once again, turn to Mark chapter 13. We we will hear from this text once again, and we will hear from this text once more in our next message from Mark as well. So Mark chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses one through 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But on, be, but be on your guard and they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before me, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, But say whatever is given you in that hour for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake for the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let us come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we do ask through through Thee and by Your Spirit that we would always have discerning eyes, ears concerning what we see and what we hear, for things can lead us astray. Help us to be steadfast to the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, even in terms of these words, For there are many who want to interpret these words in a way that is not in accordance with the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. And we ask, O Lord, that you would keep us from those errors. Help us to focus upon the good news, the proclamation of the good news that is in Jesus Christ as the mission of the church through these age through this age of turbulent times between the death and resurrection of christ and his second time, coming we ask O oh lord you would preserve us from the dangers that lead some astray in christ's name amen i still recall when Hal Lindsey's film, version of the late great planet Earth, came out in 1978 and 1979. One of the most amazing aspects of the film is that Lindsey was able to get the famous American actor with his enticing, powerful, and convincing voice, Orson Welles, to narrate that film. In view of his past, what a better person and voice to attract the audience into the drama of Armageddon. After all, in a famous radio broadcast on October 30th, 1938, maybe many of you have heard about that, the day before Halloween, Orson Welles narrated H.G. Wells' science fiction fantasy, War of the Worlds, on the radio. Supposedly, Wells' narration was so realistic, so realistic, that it is said to have caused thousands, thousands to panic, thinking that North America was being invaded by Martians. <laughs> well, If you wanted a voice that sounded authoritative and convincing, Wells was the voice. This time, the world was not being invaded by Martians. Rather, the world was now coming to its final end. Armageddon will be soon upon us, as to be expected. Upon the release of Lindsay's film, Reviews appeared in those days in just newspapers and magazines. (laughs) Living in Grand Rapids at the time, the review by the religious editor of the Grand Rapids Press caught my attention which I have never forgotten. His review placed this profound point before the reader. He stated that he thought for the Christian that the second coming of Christ would be a time of celebration and joy. But he said that as he walked out of the theater, he was terrified and depressed. (laughs) As I finished the review, I thought to myself, the reviewer is correct for the Christian the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is something in which we will rejoice, we will be glad about. On the other hand, yes, for the unbeliever, it will be terrifying, but not because of Lindsay's message of international political conflict and the collapse of global financial markets which will compel the world to collectively gather in the Middle East for Marvageddon. Rather the unbeliever will tremble as one who appears before a sovereign holy and righteous creator and must give account for rejecting Christ as the only means by which that person can be forgiven of their sin. As we enter Christ's Olivet Discourse about the last days, his words are not placed before us here to terrorize us, to place fear in us. Rather he is mapping out the real world that will confront his disciples and his church, the elect from his ascension until his second coming. Christ's discourse is to encourage, is to encourage all those who possess saving faith to remain faithful to his name and to his gospel. As various situations and events occur in the life of the church, Christ's disciples and the church must not confuse these situations and events with the end itself. After all, no one knows the day of Christ's return, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of God, only the Father knows, as Christ points out later on in this address in chapter 13, verse 32, very important verse this point is absolutely crucial that verse 1332 is absolutely crucial in responding to his prophetic word here in the entire 13th chapter will we be commenting on that as we go through this chapter christ is not directing us to figure out the day of his second coming Rather, he is encouraging us to live by the obedience of faith in the gospel as the suffering church while spreading the good news. Let us understand further the setting and the context of Christ's words here in the 13th chapter. Congregation hopefully you have been capturing that Mark is recording powerfully the transition of Christ moving from the old Jerusalem and the old temple to the new Jerusalem and the new temple beginning in chapter 11 verse 11 all the way through 13 too. remember Jesus and his disciples take up residence outside of Jerusalem at the mount of olives 11 1, 13 3 in our text here this morning this place of residence is important pointing to the apostasy the barrenness of their false belief the false belief of the old Jerusalem and temple and that Christ pronounces the last judgment upon the false religion that has arisen in Jerusalem and the temple. In this connection, permit me to highlight a few points considering the first three verses of chapter 13. I know we mentioned this last, pass, uh, last message, but let me go in a little bit further into making some connections here. First, as Christ leaves the temple for the last time, 13:1, 1, one disciple is still admiring wonderful stones and buildings those parts of the temple this unnamed the disciple here is unnamed as you notice this unnamed disciple is overwhelmed by the magnificent appearance of those stones in the buildings he could care less about the false religion that is going on inside those buildings Yes, (laughs) Mark is telling us here once again a continual theme in his particular gospel, how the disciples are not comprehending Christ's ministry and mission especially after everything christ did in disrupting the money changers in the temple the court of the gentiles that jesus calls them the den of robbers especially after his crucial discussions he had with the various jewish leaders we went through all of those oh the eyes of sinful humanity who judge based on the external appearances of stones and buildings instead of the body of believers committed to the living, to living by an internal saving faith. Even this disciple did not grasp Christ's parable of the tenants. Let us ask ourselves once again this morning, how about us? do we comprehend that parable of the tenants are our eyes of faith making the connection between if you wish go back and look at chapter 12 verse 10 and 11 the stones they used for their buildings are going to be thrown down in judgment on top of each other as Jesus is here telling this unnamed disciple, and the stone they needed to receive but rejected will be used to build the new temple. Who is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone? You remember that in terms of Christ's instruction? The disciple, is not making that connection. He's still looking at beautiful buildings <laughs> in terms, and stones. The chief's cornerstone is standing right in front of him of the new covenant in the New Testament. That is in his blood is right before him that chief cornerstone is right there who is the religious sanctuary of his heart is it the religious sanctuary of your heart Is Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone in your heart is your body the temple of the Holy Spirit where Christ resides, or not? Or not? Well, second, as we highlight a few points with respect to the first three verses of chapter 13, let us make sure we see the connection with 1236. Chapter 12, verse 36, and Christ's own reference from Psalm 110, verse 1. Do not miss the posture of the prophecy from David there in Psalm 110, verse 1. The exalted Lord, remember our message there, the exalted Lord here, Adonai, in Psalm 110, 1, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We noted in our message about the poor widow putting all that she had in the offering box that Christ sat, sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, including many rich people, 1241. As the poor widow becomes the premier example of discipleship, In Mark's gospel, Christ is presenting a preview of his exalted state of sitting at the right hand of his father, putting his enemies under his feet. These rich people are judged who are the exact opposite of the poor widow. Don't stop there. Go on to 13.3 in our text. Now the opposite aspect is accented strongly. He, Christ, sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. The new temple, the new chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is clearly distant from the Old Testament. Old Temple, although he can see it, the text points out. To repeat, he is seated opposite the Old Temple. Christ has moved from sitting in the Old Temple, 1241, to now sitting opposite the Old Temple on the Mount of Olives, 13.3. This movement is also crucial for your heart, bowing before the exalted authority of Christ. Do you recall the temple in Jerusalem, which Christ just left, stood on what was called the Temple Mount? When we noted that Jerusalem stood on a Mount, a Temple Mount. We also noted that it's opposite in Mark's narrative was the Mount of Olives where Christ and his disciples were residing. Chapter 11 verse 1 is opposed to chapter 11 verse 11 and verse 23. Christ's residence here on the Mount of Olives represents and foreshadows his future residence in heaven, where he is seated on the right hand of the Father, putting all his enemies under his feet. It is important to comprehend this point as we listen to the entire narrative of the Olivet Discourse this entire chapter keep that in your mind Christ is putting all his enemies under his feet. In the Olivet discourse from thirteen four to 3, to chapter verse thirty six, we are listening to Christ's description of what the life of the church will witness and live through in their continual wilderness journey on earth, and where will Jesus be? Where will Jesus be during this period between his ascension and his second coming? Do you know where Jesus is right now? (laughs) He is seated on the right hand of his Father. Once again, to repeat, to bring this point home to you, putting his enemies under his feet hence it is not by chance that peter james john and andrew ask him privately when will the description destruction excuse me of the temple take place what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished there in verse 3 You recall Christ's words specifically to Peter and Andrew all the way back into chapter one when he called them. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Although at this point these four disciples that are addressing him still do not understand the ministry and mission of Christ. And the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. They are about to transition by the Holy Spirit to live by saving faith as true fishers of men and followers. Remember Mark's gospel is the only one that mentions the word apostles as apostles of Jesus Christ. Now notice how Christ opens his response to their question. He begins with the imperative. (laughs) An imperative that we have seen time and time again in Mark's gospel. See. See. The idea here is that they must be vigilant. On the lookout. They must be careful. About being what there in verse 5 being led astray, being deceived. Notice that Christ is not drawing their attention to the date, to the date when the temple will be destroyed, rather his words are directed about making sure, encouraging them to remain faithful followers of christ whenever these things occur when these things do occur these disciples will have eyes that see christ is telling them to make sure that they keep their task focused. What is their task? What is the focus of their task as they are going to be sent out into the world? They are going to be fishers of men. Keep that task in focus. So why must they remain focused? Because many false messiahs will come on the scene scene with Christ's name saying that I am he. Verse six, Christ points out. No Christ description of these imposters there in the text. They will own the messianic name for themselves. They will even be so arrogant to apply the divine I am found in God's revelation and Exodus 3.14 to their own identity. This is how arrogant these imposters will be. These blasphemous imposters will lead many astray, specifically around 70 AD when political unrest will surround Jerusalem and the temple between the Jews and the Romans. The claims by many of being a political messiah will deceive and capture the hearts of many. In contrast, these true disciples, these true followers of Christ are fishers are fishers to capture the hearts of men for the good news that is found in the gospel and thus must have their eyes focused upon Christ's call to fallen humanity. Christ goes on to tell them when they hear about wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. These things in the providence of the Lord will take place in a sinful world. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdoms, verses seven and eight of the text. And understand that earthquakes, famines, are a normal occurrence in a fallen creation. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus refers to the earthquakes in Laodicea in Pompeii just prior to Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 A.D. with specific reference to the disciples and the events that will surround their own lives in ministry of the gospel, Christ points out that they are only at the beginning of the birth pains of the last days. Verse 8. Only at the beginning. So let us pause right here and hear what Christ is saying to these disciples. We must realize that Jesus is addressing in these verses the exact period of time when the disciples will present the gospel to the people throughout Asia Minor. There is going to be hostile rivals over there in Jerusalem coming to a head the Jews and the Romans. Christ is encouraging them not to get caught up in all the what we call today in our modern time. Don't get caught up in all the noise. (laughs) Do not get carried away by deceivers who want to take you away from the mission of the gospel that you are to deliver into the world. O oh, saints of Christ, although verses three through eight is addressing disciples in their lifetime, Christ's ad- admonishment is to be a characteristic that governs the church until Christ comes again. Do not let false messiahs lead anyone astray. Furthermore, and this is important, he tells them not to be alarmed about rumors of wars, nations against nations, earthquakes and famines. Please understand this is to be the heart of every believer extended all the way until Christ comes again. After all, let me accent one more time. The key verse to this entire chapter is verse 32 when Christ tells us plainly and directly that he does not know the day of his own second coming. So yes. Just as in the first century, so it is true through the 21st century. Do not be alarmed about rumors of wars, nations against nations, earthquakes and famines. So please let me encourage you, based on Christ's words, applied within the domain of Christianity please do not get caught up with the fundamentalist dispensationalist attempt to read everything to read everything going on presently in the Middle East as a sign that we are close to the final end. There is not anything going on there presently that has not gone on before in history since Christ's death and resurrection. Do you know the life of the early church and its martyrs? How about the Crusades during that first millennium? There's nothing that compares right now for two, less, just less than 200 years. The projection is by historians that close from one million to nine million people lost their lives in the Crusades. Most likely, most historians believe the nine million is way exaggerated. But even if we say one million people, incredible at that time. We just get so fascinated with our own time and we're not students even in the church in terms of the battle before evil in the world throughout history. We're not good students of history, of God's providence. As the continuing suffering church, <laughs> that lies before us in our next message on this passage, verses 9 through 13. We are instructed by our savior to be on our guard. Don't be led astray from the true gospel that is found in Christ and rest upon the assurance and security that Christ, the cornerstone, your cornerstone of our sacred worship is the great Jesus, is the great I am of God. Seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father, who is now putting all his enemies under his feet. Let me ask you, is your life resting upon the sovereign authority of Christ, who has dominion over all things and his kingdom for sure will never end. Are you content with the gospel going forth until all the elect in Christ are brought into his church? and his kingdom by repentance and faith in him underlined by Christ himself in this discourse in verse 20 yet to come. Are you content with Christ as your sanctuary cornerstone in your heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what a blessing it is to be in Christ's kingdom. And we ask, O Lord, that there would be peace in our hearts. This is how the apostles opened so much their epistles to the church, telling the people, that Christ has come, peace be with you. The peace that Christ gives and only gives to the suffering church. We know that Christ is exalted and is victorious over the enemies of his church. Help us O Lord to live in that confidence and assurance. In Christ's name, amen.